Amen. I want you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 22. You know, last Sunday night at prayer, our prayer meetings have been so wonderful, and I really appreciate people come up, coming up and sharing a scripture, a thought, or a prayer. And so we, we will pray tonight at 6 o'clock from 6 to 7. But I remember Chris, Chris came up, and he shared this scripture, and it got me thinking. And Monday morning, the Lord began to give, give me this word from this scripture that, that Chris shared uh, Sunday night. So I want you to turn with me, if you, you will, to Ezekiel chapter 22. And I want us to just read, I'll just give a quick background before we read. Ezekiel is praying and prophesying. He's one of the major prophets. He's prophesying during the time of the Babylonian captivity. He was actually in the captivity and taken as one of the captives from, from Israel. <clears throat> and I want to pick up in verse 22. And yet the people were still stiff-necked. The Jewish people were still rebellious. Even in captivity, they didn't want to repent and give, get right with God. Verse 22, and then we'll skip around. I'm sorry, 21. Yea, I will gather you and blow upon you in the fire of my wrath, and ye shall be melted in the midst thereof, as silver is melted in the midst of the furnace. So shall ye be melted in the midst thereof, and ye shall know that I, am the, I the Lord, have poured out my fury upon you. So he's speaking of judgment because they're unrepentant hearts. Verse 30. This is our key, key verse, verse 30. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore have I poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. So we see Almighty God that would rather, he's looking for an intercessor. We see Almighty God, he would rather save men's life than to just destroy men's life. Reynolds was talking about in Sunday school, somehow or another the devil he does it very cleverly, but he, in, public, in the public arena, he makes God out to be the bad guy. If, if God's so loving, why is there a hell? If God's so loving, why did this happen to this child? Why is this child abused or poor or hungry? Or all these different things happen, and God is painted out as, as the bad one. I can tell you, revealed time and time and again in the scriptures, the God of this Bible, the one true living God, is a God that reveals himself to us as one who would rather save men's lives than destroy lives. He would rather forgive men of their sins than execute judgment. He would rather deliver men than send them into captivity. In the case of the Israelites, he would rather bless men than punish. He would rather quicken and give life than to kill. He reveals to us time and time again, this is his nature. Why will you die, O house of Israel, he says. He pleads with them. Why will you die? Why are you going to continue in your sin? And this is an amazing thing to me, this verse 30. So they're in, the Israelites are in captivity. And we see that God says and I, in his wrath, and they're unrepentant. And he says, I'm going to pour my wrath. I'm going to, you're going to be melted like silver in the midst of the furnace is melted. And I saw it. The Lord sought for a man among them <clears throat> that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap 
before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. He found none. The Lord sought for a man. And you think about it, we sang this morning, this is my father's world. Who's it belong to? It belongs to the Lord. Who created it? Whose pleasure is it for? It's for God's. Who are we created for? We're created for God and for his pleasure. Thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and we're created. That would include us, okay? We're created for the glory of God and the pleasure of God. He owns all things and yet he's seeking for a man. Everything already belongs to him, yet he's seeking with a man with this type of heart. David says in the Psalms that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and they that dwell therein. That's people. For he has established it, founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the floods, he says. It's all his. And this God who owns everything, so to speak, he sought in Ezekiel's day, he sought for a man that would stand in the gap. He sought for a man. What does that word sought mean? It means to search out. It's not just a casual glancing over like I'm looking over the room real quickly. Uh, he sought for a man. It means to search out, to strive after, to ask, to beg, to beseech, to desire. It's a strong word. He sought for a man. He's begging for a man. He's beseeching and desiring for a man, someone who will stand in the gap. Someone who will stand in the gap. Second Chronicles 16 says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. What is he looking for? To find a man whose heart is perfect towards him. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to, to show himself strong in the behalf of whom uh, the man whose heart is perfect towards him. So he's looking. God is looking at the hearts of men. So in the midst of Israel's sin, in the midst of Israel's wickedness, in the midst of Israel's backslidden condition, fully deserving of the wrath of God, there's no question that they deserve it. They deserved it. You know, if you know your Bible, you know that there's a 70-year captivity in Babylon. It's very specific to a specific king, a specific country that would take them captive and where they would be taken away, and that after the 70 years, he would bring them back, right? Ezra's day and Nehemiah's day, they rebuilt the temple and the walls of the city. But it was for a specific purpose. It wasn't for nothing. All the prophets, the Lord sent the prophets rising up early, he says. Prophets uh, warning the people to turn back to God, to come back to the Lord, to come back to the Lord and quit, forsake your idols and so forth, and come back to the Lord. And in the midst of this... Them in their sin, deserving of the, the wrath of God, the God of Israel is seeking out a man. He is desiring a man among them. The, the Bible says in, in, in Psalm 14 that the Lord looked down from heaven among men to see if there's any that did understand and seek God. What is God most interested in in the world? It's not the, the little fish. He takes care of the birds and notices when one falls to the ground. But he created man in his image. He's concerned about men created in the image of God, that our lives would be redeemed. He loves us. He wants us to be redeemed to him. And it's only through the blood of Christ that we're redeemed by placing our faith that, that he might fellowship with us and commune with us and that he might be glorified through our lives on the earth. Amen? And so... Uh, 
<coughs> in the midst of Israel's sin and backslidden state, the Lord is seeking out a man among them, among them, an intercessor, <coughs> an advocate, a go-between. That's what he's looking for. Someone among them that would make up the hedge, he says, and stand in the gap. You know, that's the only time that phrase is used in the Bible. I didn't really realize that, to stand in the gap. He's looking for somebody to stand in the gap before him on behalf of Israel and before the land that he should not destroy it. Is that not a good heart? They're deserving of the punishment. He says, oh, if I'm looking for a man that will stand in the gap between me and them and intercede and plead for them that I should not destroy them. Moses was like that, right? We're going to look at Moses' life. And then Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we have the intercessor of all intercessors in the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> he says, as he, but he's seeking, as he's seeking for a man, he found none. Therefore, he said in verse 31, I'm going to destroy I have poured out my indignation upon them, and I have consumed them and the fury of my wrath. So he's looking for a man, and to me that's a very sobering thought. It's a sobering thought. This was not just any people. This was, this, in, in Ezekiel's day, he was dealing with Israel. This would have been God's people, the apple of his eye, the one he made the covenant with, right? Abraham and confirmed it with Isaac and Jacob and so forth and promised uh, to be their God and they, them to be his people, a peculiar people, a light to the Gentiles. They were set to be that. And he's looking among them for a man who will stand in the gap and make up the hedge. And he says, I found none. And I thought, what a sobering thought. In the midst of their nation's probably greatest crisis or one of a couple of their greatest crises of the whole nation of Israel, he can't find a man. He can't find a man that would share his heart, that would share his burden, that would intercede on behalf of the people. These were not people that were, did, never heard the name Jehovah. These were people unto whom were given the covenants and the laws, and they saw the miracles and so forth and, and handed down all, all this from the Lord and the blessings and favor of God, the goodness of God. And it reminds me of those in Romans chapter 1, it says, for when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's to me, would have been a picture of Israel. It's a picture of our day today uh, as well. But this is men who knew God, and they had turned their backs on the Lord. They had turned their faces from God. I think in Jeremiah, I forget which one, he says, you, you cast me behind your back. To imagine Almighty God. You know, and we said, we're chunking him behind us. We got other things, other interests, other, other ones we want to follow after. They turned their backs upon the Lord when they knew God. I say they knew not everyone born again or, or saved necessarily, but they knew all about the Lord. And he was their God, but they didn't acknowledge him as God. They turned their faces from God. They hardened their hearts towards the God of Israel. And they served other gods. They refused to hear his prophets when his prophets spoke to them. They walked in their own ways and they walked in their own sins and they were stiff-necked and rebellious. 
And while men are persisting in their rebellion, even in our day, the one true living God was seeking for a man. Who's the bad guy? Certainly not the Lord. God so loved the world, amen? He gave. He came to seek and save the lost. And he was seeking for an intercessor. He was seeking for a man. I want to read this from Isaiah 64. But we all, we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Would that not be a description of our day? Our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Listen, he goes on to say, There is none that calleth upon thy name, that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. I was just thinking, when, when Chris read that scripture... Last Sunday night at prayer, I just began to think about that. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap, and I found none. God's seeking for that man. He's looking, someone who's faithful, someone who loves God, someone who fears God. We don't say we love the Lord, but someone who is loves God above all and fears the Lord, Lord above all and above men and what they could do to them. We heard about Polycarp and John Huss this morning in Sunday school who were martyred for their faith. They loved God more than men. They loved God more than their own lives and feared him. Someone who will listen for the voice of God and say, quiet down, I need to hear the Lord. You know what I'm saying? That get along with God and take the time to hear from the Lord someone who's willing to listen for his voice and to his voice when he speaks and then care about what he has to say. Care about what the Lord has to say above anything and every other concern, whether it's popular or unpopular. Someone who will share his heart. This is the man he's seeking for. I don't think it's just one, by the way. But someone who can share his heart. Someone who will listen and do his will on the earth. Someone who will identify with the Lord Jesus Christ and his calls and his purposes on the earth. Even in churches, we have people that want to build their own kingdoms in churches. Many, not all. A lot of wonderful churches and pastors and believers. But you see so many that are, have their own agenda in the church. The Lord's to be the head of his body. Amen. He's to be the head of his church. The Lord's seeking for man. Someone who will stand in the gap before God and intercede for them, for people. Our country is going to hell. Our country is, is filled with people, for the most part, that is chosen to cast God behind their backs and pursue in a secular, godless way. They've chosen that. This is not some preacher who, who's uh, as you know, out of control and, and, and taking it to an extreme. I think it's pretty mildly put that our nation has chosen to, to go a di direction other than the Lord and to cast the Lord behind our backs. Not every person. Talk about the nation as a whole. And he is looking for someone who will intercede. The Lord is looking for a man. It's not going to be the lost man. It's going to be you. It's going to be me. It's going to be those that know Christ. 
who will intercede on their behalf that he doesn't destroy. Now, we know, we know the Bible, how, it, how God plays it out in his order of events. But there, but there are still people that can be saved and the Lord desires to be saved. He is still desiring to be honored and glorified in the earth and for his gospel to be preached. But he's looking for someone who will intercede and plead for men's lives. Plead for the land. Plead for God's mercy. Plead for, for our spiritual eyes to be opened and hard hearts to be melted and softened. It's not just going out and sharing the gospel. We have to do that. We need to do that. It's pleading for men's lives. When, when nobody's watching that you're pleading other than the Lord. And you're crying out for our nation. You're crying out for revival. You're pleading for lost family members to be saved or co-workers to be saved. Pleading for genuine repentance towards God. Stephen pled in this way. Stephen, the first martyr in the, in the church, early church, and they were stiff-necked and rebellious and did always resist the Holy Ghost, he said, and his one and only sermon that we know of that he preached, and he was martyred for it. But he's saying, Lord, don't lay this sin to their charge. Have mercy. He's pleading. He's, there's a, he was a man caught up halfway between heaven and earth, practically, who was standing in the gap between God and sinful men. God and hard-hearted sinful men. That's what we're talking about here. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. What is he doing? He's pleading on their behalf. He's, he's, he's desiring mercy for them. It's a call to repentance. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stone those that are sent to you, how often I would have gathered you uh, under my wings like a, a hen gathers her chickens and, and you would not. There's somebody, the Lord's looking for someone to plead for men to come to him and be saved. The Lord wants men to be saved. Yes, we hand out tracts and we share the gospel. We have to. We absolutely have to. But I'm going to tell you that I believe there's more to it. I believe there's, there's a crying out on behalf of God's people in prayer. <clears throat> Whether we're gathered together as a church whether individually or a handful of people in a Bible study or a prayer meeting where we begin to cry out to God and plead for his mercy. All those that have really been captivated or captured by the Lord, you would say, we know, we know who so many of them are. Paul wrote this, and I'm reading from 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. In other words, what was he saying? That early church and the believers and those that were with Paul, we're not just sharing the gospel. It's, it's as though God is the one begging for you to come to him through us. As though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. The prayer was that men be reconciled, specific men who they're talking to. He says it's really like God is beseeching you. Through us, be reconciled to God, be reconciled unto the Lord. I'll say this, y'all. It's one thing and an important thing, very important thing, that we know the Lord, that you and I are Christians and we know the Lord, that we identify with Christ. 
that we are salt and light as we go out amongst in this world that doesn't know the Lord. It's an important thing. It's one thing to be on God's side. We must be. And we must be separated unto the Lord. The Bible tells us that, to be holy and separated unto God in this life. But I can say, and I'm not saying I'm there. I'm saying it's another thing still that's revealed in scriptures. And a far greater thing that we be God's man. Or God's woman. Or young person. It's not just enough that we're saved. It's a far greater thing that we are saved and, and dead to ourselves. Saved and sold out to the Lord. That man is a, is a greater thing. The Lord chooses uh, among that group of believers who he's going to use. And I believe he's looking in the church. And I believe he's looking in Cornerstone Church. And he's looking for, sought for a man who would stand in the gap and make up the hedge that I would not destroy the land and I found none. I don't want him to, to come and look and find none. I want to say, here am I. Lord, send me like Isaiah. Who, who can go for us and who can we send? And Isaiah steps up and says, I'm pitiful. I'm pathetic. I'm only anything because you just cleansed my lips and purged my sins, but here am I. Send me, Lord. I'll go. That's what he's looking for. That's what he's looking for. And that one that's going to go can't have any ropes holding him back and strings attached to him. That one that's going to go has got to be fully his. And go where he leads. The Lord told Peter, I think the last time he appeared to his disciples, uh, maybe it was the second to the last time, and he appeared to his disciples and he told Peter to feed Go feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. And he said, Peter, when, uh, when you were young, you went where you want. You put on your clothes and went wherever you want. When you're old, somebody's going to gird you, somebody else, and they're going to take you where you don't want to go. This spake he signifying by what death Peter would glorify God. So now, Peter, let's talk about it again. Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? That was his question. Everybody would say we love the Lord. We do. Do you love me more than this? Do you love me more than your family? Do you love me more than your status in life and the, the, the wealth that you have and the pleasures it brings you? Do you love me more than this? Do you love me more than these? I don't think it's just one man, but I can tell you the Lord's still sought, seeking out a man, a person, somebody that would be an intercessor on God's behalf. That men, in the midst of the greatest sin and rebellion and wickedness and falling away, we're studying on Wednesday nights, right? This, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter days men shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So what is the end times characterized by? A falling away. A falling away. As other characteristics, there's wars and rumors of wars and uh, nations coming against Israel and all these things which we're seeing. But in the midst of men's sin and rebellion and falling away and spiritual darkness and moral decline and decay and godlessness, the Lord's searching for a man. He's searching for a man that will be his man. I would say this, someone to step up and, some, and to step out. 
We've got to step up to the plate, so to speak, and say, here am I, Lord, and then someone who will step out. And I'll say this, this is to me and to all of us, it's not just to step out and be a Christian, it's to step out of what is the norm of Christianity. I know I've shared this before, but part of my testimony, when I surrendered my life to the Lord, after, after one foot in the world and one foot in the, in the church, so to speak, for about five years, and surrendered my life fully to the Lord, and I was all in. It's all in in the, in the church, and, and I never sang before, but next thing I know, I'm singing with a little uh, makeshift praise team, you know, uh, and serving the Lord. I wanted to serve God, and I learned very quickly that even those right around me that were my peers and my age and same, you know, they would have been my peers, it's like they got to this place and they wanted to stop. That's as far as they wanted to go in serving God or knowing God. I'm not saying they weren't saved. The Lord showed me real quickly, just like he, I had to surrender my life to the Lord in the first place and come out of the lostness and the lost condition of the world. He, he said, now it's time. Are you going to decide are you going to stay here at this level, so to speak, of commitment and service in Christianity? Because there's others in the church, and they say they love me too, but they're content to stay right here. Are you going to go on with me? And I had to say, I had to say, yes, Lord, and go on with the Lord. He's looking for people. He's seeking out men and women that will step up and step out. Even what is the norm for Christianity. To stand in the gap. To make up the hedge. To lose ourselves, so to speak, in Christ and for Christ. And in his cause and in sharing his heart. To plead for God on behalf of men and plead for men to turn to an almighty God and a holy God. Plead for God's mercy for men. Plead for men to repent and believe and to be reconciled to God. There are a lot of people in our nation, and I'm thankful for it. Not a majority, but there are a lot of believers in our country. There are people that are saved, genuinely saved. When they die, they're going to heaven on the earth right now. They don't live in rebellion and wickedness, you know, in absolute rebellion towards God. They know the Lord. They fear the, God, fear the Lord. They stand with Israel, for example. They stand in the truth and for the truth and with the truth of the Bible. And they don't at all go along with or condone the current moral standard and sin that's in our world today. But having said that, the question still is, where is the man or the woman or the young person of God who will live and die standing in the gap? It's needed. Can I tell you there's not going to be the revival that we pray for or desire and those that we've read about at other times and errors? It takes that type of completeness, complete surrender to the Lord. To where we love the Lord. Peter, lovest thou me? Yes, I love you, Lord. He's grieved because he asked him the third, third time, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. And finally he says, Lord, you know. You know. Do you love me more than these, Peter? Feed my sheep. Do what I've called you to do. 
It is a question of love, isn't it? It's a question of love for the Lord. I think about this. The Bible, two examples came to my mind. In Abraham's day, his nephew Lot had, the Bible calls in the New Testament, says he was a just man. Just in the sense of righteous or just. He, he was one that knew the Lord. And yet he compromised and lived in the midst of all the sin it was his own choice, by the way. He wasn't taken captive there. He was comfortable there. Comfortable there. He lived in Sodom. And the Lord was coming down to destroy Sodom. So this man was delivered, but he didn't deliver anyone else with him, did he? He couldn't get his own uh, son-in-laws to believe him. I know that we've talked about this and you've heard about Lot, but there's my, a good example of someone. Was he just? Did God, did he commit those sins of Sodom? Certainly he did not commit the sins of Sodom. Was he God's man for that hour to beseech Almighty God on behalf of Sodom and the men of Sodom? No, he was not. Abraham delivered it. Abraham was used by, in prayer as an intercessor. Stood between God and man, Lot, to get his nephew out of there. Couldn't even get his wife out. She got partly out and turned and looked back. I also think we did our study on Wednesday nights for months on the life of Elijah. And in Elijah's day, there was a man named Obadiah who was a, and served in the King Ahab's court. Ahab was a wicked king. He and his wife Jezebel, and they, they worshipped Baal and set up altars to Baal. And Obadiah did not go along with those things. He didn't serve Baal. He didn't worship Baal. In fact, he took... when when uh, they were, king and queen were killing all of God's true prophets in the land. They were murdering them. He took a hundred of them and hid them in caves and fed them during the drought. He kept them alive. He did a lot. He wasn't God's man for that hour. He wasn't standing in the gap between the nation of Israel and their sin and a wicked king and almighty God. That was Elijah. That was Elijah. And I believe the Lord is still looking for that man to represent him, to call out the sin like John the Baptist. That's extreme. That's going too far. You know what? It's going just far enough. We go as far as God tells us to go. That's how far we go. Someone who will represent him, call out the sin who look around and say, no, it's not okay the way you're living. No, you can't believe in any God you want and get to heaven. God's going to judge it. Someone that will speak the truth in love. Turn to him while you can. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ while you can. Be cleansed from your sin. Be reconciled to God. Herod spoke up. Jews, Gentiles. I'm not Herod. John the Baptist spoke up and spoke out against Herod. Taking his, brother, his brother's wife, Herodias. Because he, he wanted to have her. He says it's not lawful what you're doing. He was beheaded, by the way. Taken in prison and beheaded. God's got his men. In Ezekiel's day, the issue, and I'll be bringing this to a close, but in Ezekiel's day, the issue was Israel. The nation of Israel, God's people, their continued backsliding. It's almost like they didn't, he, he said, I'm going to send you in captivity if you don't repent and turn back to me. 
I'm warning you, I'm warning you, I'm warning you through the prophets. They didn't listen. They're taken to captivity. You think surely in the captivity, they say, we've sinned. God, forgive us, have mercy. They didn't do that. In the captivity, they kept sinning even more as a whole. In Israel's backslidden state in refusal to return to the Lord, God desired to turn the people's hearts back to himself. That's God's desire. We think God's just sitting there with a lightning bolt wanting to destroy. He will eventually destroy. But his desire is for men to turn to him. And I think it's very similar in our day. I'm not trying to take Israel and make them the church. I'm simply saying the moral condition of God's people today, the church, would be very similar in these last days worldwide. The increasing spiritual darkness and man's increasing stubbornness and refusal to come to and believe on the Son of God. And all the while, what's God doing? He says he desires for all men who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He's not slack concerning, uh, as some men count slack, slackness concerning his promise, but he's willing, he's long-suffering to us where it's not willing that any perish but all come to repentance. In every generation, God is seeking out and desiring a man. He's seeking for men to repent, and he's seeking for a man who will be wholly his man. Someone who will stand in the gap unattached from this world, unattached from his own life. A man who will stand in the gap and plead the Lord's cause to men be reconciled to God. That men would be saved and come to know him. And we as the redeemed of the Lord, we have the greatest intercessor, advocate ever, Jesus Christ, who stood in the gap, literally hung on a cross between heaven and earth, between almighty God and the holy God in heaven and sinful men on earth, standing in the gap. He laid his life down as a bridge, so to speak, between almighty God and sinful men. We're reconciled through the blood of his cross. There's one God and one mediator between men and God, the man Christ Jesus. I want to close with this. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 16. I'm sorry, Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16. We talked about Moses. Moses was such an intercessor. Was he perfect? Not at all. Did he ever want the job in the first place? No, he did not. Okay? God called him and God used him and he represented no one does it perfectly except Jesus, but he represented God to men and he pleaded pleaded on the behalf of, behalf of men before almighty God. He was that go between. So this is one of several rebellions. The children of Israel in the, in the wilderness, Moses was leading them like a, a nursing mother. He said, basically, i gotta, I got to uh, nurse these, this whole nation along because they're, they're like a bunch of babies, okay? And he's having to bear them along, and they would rebel against him. Can you imagine? He would, Deuteronomy, it says he was the most meek man on the face of all the earth, Moses. The Lord says that of him. And yet they're, they're coming against him. 
They're coming against him. Time, and then they'd settle back down and there'd be another rebellion. This is one of the biggest ones, by the way. What we're going to read, there was a rebellion between, uh, there's a man named Korah and also Datham and Abiram. And Datham, Abiram, and Korah, Korah was the, the ringleader and 200, 250 princes of Israel. These weren't just nobodies. This was 250 of who's who. They were leaders over the people. And they came before Moses and they said, you take too much upon you, seeing that all the congregation of Israel is holy. In other words, who do you think you are being that one to lead us and meet with God and tell us what to do? We're all holy. Well, what does Moses do? Verse 41. Well, I'm gonna, just before that, he hits his face before the Lord. Instantly, they rebelled against him. He, what does he do? He falls on his face. Instantly. He doesn't say, I'll tell you a thing or two. Let me tell you something. He falls on his face and begins to intercede for these. For Korah, for Datham, for Abiram. And he says, tomorrow, he doesn't defend himself. You know what he said? He prayed, and he says, tomorrow the Lord is going to show who's holy and who is his man. And they all brought their censers. They were told to bring their censers that they would light the incense in and bring it before uh, the tabernacle of the congregation. And, and the Lord called out and he says, Moses, separate yourself from these people. I'm going to destroy them. He's always interceding. I want you to read in verse 41. So, so the 250 were destroyed. The Lord sent down fire from heaven and destroyed the 250. Here's Moses and Aaron over here. God's validating who belongs to him. Verse 41. But on the morrow, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. So you think that after God just showed, no, Moses is my man and Aaron. And these people were in rebellion. And I destroyed them. You think that would do it, right? But it doesn't do it. They rise up, the whole congregation, not 250, the whole congregation rises up and said, Moses, you killed these 250 people right here. You killed them. Look at what the Lord says in verse 44. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Get you up from among this congregation, that I may consume them as in a moment. And they fell upon their faces. This was their pattern. I told you that when God was looking for a man, he found one in Moses. And of all the thing, characteristics of Moses, his meekness and so forth, to me this is the greatest characteristic. He, the Lord says, get, get, I'm going to make another nation out of you, Moses. Let me destroy these people. Let me destroy them. Here's a man standing in the gap. Okay? Get you up from among this congregation that I may consume them as in a moment. And Moses and, Moses and Aaron, they fell upon their faces. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer and put the fire therein from off the altar and put on incense and go quickly into the congregation and make an atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague is begun. So all this is happening. The plague's already started. People in congregation are starting to die. As they're speaking, as they're on their faces, in their rebellion, the Lord, Moses says, Aaron, real quick, quickly, 
It's not something you can wait. There are lives at stake here. Take that incense, that fire, and put it on your censer and go. And Aaron took as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the congregation. And behold, the plague had begun among the people. And he put the incense, put on incense and made an atonement for the people. And listen to this. And he stood between the dead and the living. And the plague was stayed. Not a better place to close this morning. Think about a man standing in the gap. Isn't that literally it? He stood. He ran quickly. I got to get out here quick. And he got out there. And the Lord honored that. And the plague was stopped. Last person falls over. And he just gets past that one. And he stands between the dead and the living. And the plague was stopped. Isn't that what we're called to do? To stand in the gap between the dead and the living. That's really what we are. We're ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech us, beseech you through us, be reconciled to God. God is not looking for new methods. Steve, you can come. God's not looking for new methods in our day, in 2023. He's not looking for new methods. How can we reach the lost? Have a think tank and we'll all sit around and talk about it. He's not looking for new methods or programs. He's always and has always been looking for someone, someone who will stand in the gap, someone who does not count their lives as dear to themselves, who will stand in the gap between the dead and the living. That's what he's called us to do. Amen. One person can make a difference. Moses made a difference. The plague was stayed. It stopped right there. That's just symbolic. So, so to speak of spiritual, John Knox made a difference, right? John Wesley and Charles Wesley made a difference. God can use your life and my life, but it has to be where we love not our lives unto death. It has to be that complete surrender and, and where we identify with his heart. Not enough to be a Christian. We'll go to heaven. We're born again. We love the Lord. But someone who will stand in the gap and make up the hedge that the Lord says that I should not destroy them. They all stand with me this morning. I don't know who, whose heart the Lord is speaking to this morning. Might be somebody that we would never think, and that be the one that, that answers the call, so to speak. But I think for, for all of us, there's the call to be that man or that woman, that young person who will make up the hedge and stand in the gap between the living, the dead and the living, that will beseech men be reconciled to God. And turn to God and say, have mercy upon men to stand in that gap. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Y'all, the altar's open. Come as God moves you and leads you. Cry out to the Lord. Cry out for our country. Cry out for our own selves. Cry out for the church in this hour in America that we would be those that would make up the hedge and stand in the gap.